Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Have you ever found yourself completely confused with Christian culture? Because I totally have. Like, the guy who has that brand new shiny Jesus fish sticker on the back of the car. And you're driving behind this dude, and you're like, you know, he's going like 10 miles under the speed limit, right? So you're like, you know, I'm going to pass this guy or whatever. You know, you don't feel like you're tailing him, but you pass him and you go by the side, and he gives you a gesture to make you know how he felt about your movement. You're like, okay, like I didn't know that was going to happen, right? Like you have a Jesus fish, but yet you're giving me an inappropriate gesture, okay? And then, like, there's people who've been in church here for some time, and maybe you've gone, and you have that one guy in the church who's just, like, super mean, and, like, the grumpy, angry guy, and you, like, you go to church, and, like, especially when you're kids, right? Like, when I, I always had that grumpy, angry guy. There's a guy who always gives you the candy and the gum, there's a guy who's always yelling at kids, God, shut up, sit down, you know? Like, like we have this experience in church that makes us, even at a young age, start to question things. Or maybe you have been in a church environment where you've been through pain. You, you trusted somebody. You trusted the pastor. You trusted the elders. Maybe you trusted a friend. But they're not acting the way that you hear them talk on a stage. Something isn't lining up. We've all experienced that. We've, we've had experiences in some shape or form where people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really live like it. I go to church on Sunday. I mean, I do a lot of stuff. I, I'm involved in my community. I'm, I'm the church guy. But yet, as soon as I walk outside those doors, I'm a completely different man or woman, a completely different student. I'm a completely different kid. And so now, when a world is looking at that Christian, they're saying, okay, you say you believe in this, but at the same time, you act like that. Is your faith even legit? Like, it's a, it's a good question. Like, if you say you believe in something, should that not reflect how you respond? I, I am an avid Wisconsin fan. I, I cheer on the blue and gold for the Brewers. Um, I cheer on, cheer on the Packers. We got green and gold today. I cheer on the Badgers. Like, I was, like, I'm as Milwaukee as you get, right? And so if I started all of a sudden cheering for the Chicago Cubs, first of all, I'm probably, there's something wrong with me. I'm sick. I must have eaten a bad burrito. If I would cheer for the Cubs, if you know anything about me, something is wrong with my, I would never in a million years cheer for the Cubs because I am so fanatic about the Brewers. Growing up right next to County Stadium as a kid, I'd listen to the screams of the crowd. Like, I'm so fanatic. There's no question. I would never betray that. But if you went to a Brewers game and you saw me all in Cub gear, you'd be like, whoa, 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 Mr. Fanatic. You say you're a fan, but at the same time, you're not actually doing what you say you believe. That is the way that Christianity right now in our culture is struggling. They say that we are the most unchristian generation of all time. They say that Christianity is dying. They hear all these things, I read all these articles, and I would counter it with this. I don't think Christianity is dying. I think the next generation is calling our bluff. There's this quote by Brendan Manning that says it best. He says this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. 
who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out of the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is when an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Is our life matching up with what we say we believe? Is our allegiance to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, something that infuses us to the place of a fanatic, or is it something we just kind of throw into the side of our lives? Like, when you, when you have a meal, is, is our faith the steak, or is it the tartar sauce that's kind of on the side? Are we really serious about this, or are we living something that the rest of the world says, I don't want what you have? And that's where we're going to dig into this today. There's so much confusion in this because inside of our worlds and all of us, even you can claim that you're a Christian, you get labeled as it, and then as you're living, people are now exploring what does that mean to follow that. But then we get into the bigger things within church life. Church life, people walking in, maybe you walked in today and said, okay, I'm coming here today. You guys are a really great group of people. Um, you're good people, you are loving people, and like there'll be no drama. So if that's your thought today, let me explain something to you. When you church plant, the day we started, there was zero drama. By the end of that day, that was drama. <laughs> We've been going now for almost a year. There's drama. There's going to be drama. There's going to be pain. There's going to be struggle. The difference is when we follow Christ, we're called to a different way of living with drama. We forgive instead of hate. We love instead of holding burdens. We live different within the confines of humans because we are still human. But the people who have been inside the church and see this, they say, see, you're just like everybody else. If they could really see true restoration of what Christians do when they have conflict and say, see, nobody would love the way you love each other, then the entire world would say, I want what you have. How we live matters. And this isn't new. This is Jesus had talked about this 2,000 years ago. And at the beginning of everything, Jesus is bringing this new way of living into the Jewish culture, which is then passed on to all of us. He's like, guys, I want you to understand something. Your faith is not something you simply add into your life. It's not a patch. So we're going to be reading the scriptures today, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. If you have your Bibles, Bible apps at home, if you can open up to there as well. I want to always encourage you to use your Bible, Bible apps, because I could say anything up here. I, I want you to see the Word of God for yourself. I'm reading from the NIV, lots of different versions that are great. Um, I'm reading from the NIV today. And this is a very fascinating, short little passage with so much information. I love it. So as you get there, the question is, how do you follow God? So this whole story begins with Jesus being confronted. Mark chapter 2, verses 18. Now John's disciples, which is John the Baptist, he was a prophet who came before Jesus and announced Jesus coming. So he was known as a holy man, as a prophet man, and they, he was a big deal in the area. And said, so now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, Jesus, how are you disciples of John fasting, disciples of Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So here we see Jesus confronted. Everyone's doing religious stuff, Jesus, and they're fasting, but yet your own people are not. So in the New Testament, this happens all the time. Jesus is always refuting or correcting people's way of thinking, which was always confused. So if it makes you feel any better, if you're confused about things, 
We have always been confused. So that's why we go to the Word of God. Jesus clears things up for us. And so this beginning with fasting. Now, fasting, if you aren't familiar with it, in the New Testament version, is this idea that we're going to abstain from something for a period to just reflect and worship God. It could be for repentance. You take a time of fasting. Food is an often thing, like to take time. And if you've ever fasted, when your stomach is grumbling and you're so hungry, you're remembering God. Intermittent fasting for weight loss does not count. I just want to make that clear. So like real fasting. I'm taking time away to focus on my king, and I want to just repent. Fasting was a way we see in the scriptures of saying, God, please hear our cries. Hear our calls. Lord, we want to take some time right now to say, God, hear us. We abstain from the pleasures of the world. We abstain from what keeps us alive as humans. Hear us, please. In the New Testament, it awakens this spiritual hunger and desire for things. And so these men were fasting. Now, Jewish law required fasting. So fasting was something that they were doing as they should. And actually, after God rescues the Hebrews in Exodus, the story of Moses, if you've heard of that story before, in Exodus, God rescues the Jewish people out of Egypt, and in that now, they started doing double fasting. They had all these festivals, and then the Pharisees were doing double fastings a week, and they were creating this extremely religious, you have to do this the way that we do this. And this way of thinking it was starting to permeate the culture. Now, John's disciples, we don't know why they're fasting. John was always in jail. Maybe they're fasting so they would hear John, or that they would hear, and something's going on over here, and John's always in trouble, and maybe they're calling out to God. Maybe they're kind of pulling in the way that the Pharisees were doing it. We don't know. All we know is somebody came up and said this. Why aren't your boys as holy as the other? You're a religious man. All these religious people are doing religious stuff, and your boys over here are just having a great time and partying. Like, your boys over here are showing everyone how to be religious. They're doing the right thing the way they're supposed to do it. Why are your disciples not fasting? Now, that's a fascinating question. Because I would probably have asked the same thing as well. And so Jesus being Jesus doesn't say, because I said so. He teaches in parables. And those parables are sometimes confusing. Sometimes like, man, why don't you just come through and say it? But Jesus teaches this way because he was a Jewish rabbi. Jewish rabbis didn't teach direct answers. They would ask questions and tell stories to show their knowledge base that goes beyond the person who was asking. And Jesus, being a rabbi, taught in a rabbinic way. And so he tells stories to be able to get them to understand, in which we move on to in verses 19 through 20. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Makes total sense to me. Uh, why aren't you fasting? Because there's a bridegroom. Makes no sense to me. Like, what, are you, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? And so in our culture, it doesn't make sense to us. We always have to look at the scriptures in the context of who wrote it during their time, during their culture. And we understand their culture and not try to put it into our culture. So the groom... In Jewish culture, weddings were seven days long. This wasn't our one day. So everyone who's getting married, y'all know who you are, going to be married, seven days. Fathers of the bride, seven days. And these were not just small weddings. Everybody's invited to this feast. 
There's wine, there's dancing, there's celebrating. This was a huge, huge thing for a community. Seven days long. The party would be ruckus. It would be so much fun. It would be like the, the culmination of this big story wrapping up, and they would celebrate as a community. Now, we celebrate individually. We take our friends and our family, and we celebrate individually versus an entire community. That would be really expensive if Washington County came for seven days to celebrate your next wedding. So think of it this way. This party is just ruckus. It is such a joyous, fun, laughing time. Think of it as Jesus' version of Summerfest, right? Like it's just a party going, right? So he says this. Is it appropriate for a groom? If the groom is here and we're at the wedding party for me to fast? Like, is it right during this time when I'm part of the, br- the bridal party and I'm up here, I'm like, sorry, brother, I'm fasting right now and I cannot partake in your party. Jesus is like, this is not the right time for that. And so he uses this analogy, this story to say, I am the groom, the party is now, and my disciples are here to party. I'm here right now, but there's going to be a time when I'm not with them. I'm going to be gone. Then they will fast. But the time is now that the bridegroom, Jesus, is literally right here with them. So for now, we have some other stuff to do. And I'm like, that Jesus is such an amazing teacher and that they would understand the culture of how that was being said. So then, okay, this time of joy, this time of party, and then Jesus flips the script to say, first of all, y'all wrong. Secondly, let me explain to you why you're wrong. And he goes on in verses 21 to 22. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece would pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wide skins. Otherwise, the wine would burst the skins. And both the wine and the wine skins would be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. Again, what are you talking about, Jesus? So you go from, hey, how come you guys aren't fasting? So now we're talking about weddings. We're talking about carbon dioxide blowing up these wineskins. We're talking about these seamstress patching on clothes. So Jesus, again, being the master teacher, says this. You are not going to just take something and patch it because it doesn't work. He shows this. He goes into this parable talking about the first image of cloth. You have a piece of clothing, and now we don't repair things anymore. Remember, different culture. Right now, we just go to Walmart and buy something for you know, $5.99 and throw away the old thing. But they would patch clothes. So your old clothes, which have been washed over and over and over and over again, have been shrunk. We buy our clothes pre-washed, pre-shrunk, so they fit right. I mean, do you remember back our 80s and 70s people? Remember when they didn't really do that? You buy a shirt and get home, like, all of a sudden, you're... I think that's why the clothes were so tight in the 70s. That's, I'm going to say that. Like, they just washed it and got tight. So you'd wash it, and now your clothes, as they were worn, would be shrunk. You don't take a new piece of cloth and sew it onto a hole on there because that piece of cloth is going to shrink. It's going to rip and tear and make the garment worse. And so he uses yet another picture with wineskin. So here's a picture of what it looked like to have a wineskin in their days. You get the picture, that's an animal. Wineskins were not made of plastic or rubber at that time. It was used from a hide of an animal, and they would take the new wine, 
And they'd put the wine into this wineskin, they'd wrap it up, and it would be fermented. And as that's fermenting, if you don't know the, how that whole thing works, the fermenting process of wine creates carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a gas that then starts to expand that skin. And as it's expanding, the new wineskin would stretch with it. And as it's stretching, it'd be able to withstand the pressure of the CO2 inside until it was time for them to be able to take the wine that was done. They would cut it and they would pour it. If you take an old wineskin, which is a picture of that right now, that's just nasty. That's like my skin when I'm out in the sun too long and don't put on suntan lotion. Like, it's dried, it's crusty, like, it looks terrible. If you take new wine into this, it's going to explode. It has no give. All the elastic property of it is gone. It is completely dried out. So therefore, Jesus uses another analogy. You're not going to take something new, this new wine, and put it into something old because it's going to explode. Now, Jesus being the master teacher, I just think, I don't know for sure, but I can see him sitting in a place in which there's a seamstress sewing something, and over here is somebody making wine. And he's using visual things to show them. Because if you look in the scriptures, he's walking and he teaches and he points to things. I could see him saying, you wouldn't do this and you wouldn't do that. And you ask, okay, what does that all have to do with you being a groom and not fasting? The new patch, the new wineskin, all of these things. Jesus is making a clear picture of the new way he is bringing life into an old system. The Jewish people were playing an old tape. They're playing an old system, which they didn't know. They're like, why aren't you doing what we're told in the Old Testament? Jesus is like, look, there's a new way coming. I have a new life for you. There is a new version that's coming. And this new version, this new life that I have for you is not something you can just add into your old way of doing things. It's going to explode. If you try to take your old way of doing things and put them into a new way of doing things, it's not going to work. If you take all the way of Judaism, the way that the old way, I am the new way, Jesus said, I'm the bridegroom, I'm here to celebrate, I'm here right now, let's party because I'm bringing a new way. And Jesus and his scriptures are always teaching about the kingdom of God. I'm bringing the way of God down to earth for you guys to understand. If you try to add your way into this new way, it's not going to work. And then he goes to another step. Because why aren't you obeying the Jewish law? Why are, I mean, this doesn't make any sense. All of a sudden, you have this new way of doing things. And he lovingly shows them that the new way is the way that God has for them. And as Christians in the year 2020, this still stands firm. Because God did not call us to add Jesus into your old way of living. It doesn't work. If you've ever wondered why your Christian faith is weak, feeble, falling apart. When things go bad, you crumble. Have you ever wondered, like, why is, why is my faith the way that it is? Have you ever thought this question? Are you trying to add Jesus into your old way of life? Is the new way that Jesus has for you just kind of patched on? Are you patching Jesus? Are you trying to add him into something? Because the scriptures, once again, tell us it's not going to work. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And the New Living Translation says it. I love this. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. When you follow Christ, I'm not talking about going to church and putting stickers on your car and listening to Caleb. I'm talking about the fact you give your entire life to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You have a new life. 
If you're trying to patch him on and you're like, why is my faith the way it is? I just asked the question, are you patching or is it a new garment? Are you patching or is it a new wineskin? What is God asking us for? He's asking for all of us because his way of life is better than. So back to the beginning. Do you ever think perhaps the way people hate church, people say, I love Jesus. I mean, Jesus is good, but I hate church people is because they're sitting around a bunch of patched people. Not new life people, but patched. A bunch of people kind of threw Jesus onto their leg because they had a hole in their pants, but it really didn't change their life. So they say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I do some good stuff and I try to patch it, but I'm still living this wretched life, doing what I want. It doesn't really matter. God didn't really say that in the Bible. I do it. And their whole life is a shamble. And they say, see, you're not real. Jesus warns us it doesn't work. Jesus has a new life for us. We are new creations. We literally take our life, our values, everything we have, we put it to the side, and we now say, God, what life and values do you have for us? And that is why we study the scriptures. That's why we become students of the word of God, because this new way of life is so counterintuitive to the gut reactions. I mean, for me, my gut reactions are completely opposite to the things that scripture tells me to be. My gut reaction is instant frustration instead of peace. My gut reaction is irritation instead of gentleness. My gut re- Do I have to keep going? Or not? You guys relate, right? That gut reaction is an old garment. And when we try to patch on, it's not going to work. Now, it takes time. But the question is, are you willing to go to a new garment, a new wineskin, and give your entire life to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords? Not just for your sake, but for the sake of your friends, of your coworkers, your neighbors, Washington County. So that when people says Mosaic Church, they say, oh my goodness, I've never seen a group of people in my life that really with all of their hearts live a way I've never seen before. I want to know what do they have. I want what you have. If you've ever heard that uttered to you before, it is shocking because all I say is like, you know, I'm a total jerk. I just love Jesus. It's usually my response. Like my gut reactions, like it's not me. It's the new life God has for me. But there's this big, huge word that we don't like to talk about in church anymore, which is repent. And the word repent is that I'm going to turn away from my old way to go to the new way. When I repent, I say the old was not good, the new is better. And the fact of the matter, so many Christians in the year 2020 do not repent anymore. We just try to patch it into our life. We just say, it's okay, it's not a big deal, we slam it in there. We add some foul way of living, knowing it's wrong, into the beauty that God has for us, which is better, which is good. It's like when I eat, and I I'm a, try to be a healthy guy sometimes, you know, and I sit down, and I'm like, man, when I eat a salad and good greens and healthy stuff, I feel good, I'm energized, and then my wife buys Pizza Hut, and I'm like, I shouldn't eat the Pizza Hut, but oh, man, that looks delicious, right? So I'm like, okay, salad tomorrow, pizza today, and I just feel sluggish, and I don't feel that great, and like, uh, but oh, it's so satisfying for that moment. Do you ever think, that the way that God has for us is better than junk. It's better than junk food. The way that God has for us brings us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Do we ever think that the way of God, his kingdom, all these teachings Jesus has for us 
is to give us life both here on earth and for eternity because that's what he has. But the word is repent. You can't patch Jesus into your old life. So I'm going to give you a second this morning to just pause and reflect. This is your spiritual life and your journey. I'm not mad at you. I'm not better than you. I'm here to admit to you that I totally mess up all the time. What Jesus calls us to is not that we live perfect, but that we repent. And there's some of us today, including myself, I've had to repent this week for something I've tried to patch into my way. It's hard, it's humbling, but it's good. And some of us in this room perhaps don't know who Jesus is. You're like, man, Jason, this is a whole lot right now. I just want to say this. Is Jesus calling you to a life that's better than what you have right now? That you can have a life for eternal life with the King of kings and Lord of lords. You can have a life now that makes a difference. You can have a life that has a purpose that's bigger than you. You can have a life that brings hope and love into a community that's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That you can be a real living disciple in the year 2020. That people look to you and say, tell me what you have, I want it. That's your choice too. But I want to take a few seconds as we end and just pause. Ask you just to take a second. I want to ask you a few questions for you to ponder. Have you been patching? If you are, it's time to repent. Have you been religious? You can have freedom in Christ. Have you not yet accepted Jesus as your Savior? Today is the day of your salvation if you want it. Repent and call on him and ask him to be your Savior. Have you, sitting there, been a new creation saved by the King of Kings? Then I say today is the day you rejoice because what Christ did in the gospel, dying for each and every one of us, gave us life both here and forever. Friends, the world does not need patchers. The world needs new wineskins. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.